Uh, Wellworth, uh, if you've got a Bible with you that you brought with you, turning to Colossians, uh, end of chapter 1. If you don't have one with you, you'll probably find one in front of you in the pews there um, as we look at this next section of Colossians together. Uh, I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. Uh, earlier in uh, Colossians, we read together as a church family of uh, just how glorious he is. Uh, all things made by him, all things held together by him, all things for him. And so, Father, as we hear your word declaring uh, who he is and declaring the difference that makes to us again, we pray that you would humble our hearts, quiet our hearts from whatever is bouncing around our minds and hearts this moment uh, to hear you well to respond with uh, joyful faith, obedient faith. We ask this uh, for your glory and for our good. Amen. So Colossians uh, chapter 1, and we're, we're jumping in at verse 24, which is where we're up to, and we're only going to get as far as chapter 2, verse 1 uh, this morning, so we'll, we'll, we'll um, continue on from there uh, next week. But I, I actually want to start by taking you back to verse 6. Uh, of Colossians chapter 1, uh, perhaps one of my favourite verses in all of Scripture. Uh, all over this world, the gospel is bearing fruit and multiplying. That's what God is doing in our world. He's doing it right now. He's doing it in Warunga. He's doing it uh, all over our world. We're going to hear a little bit later in our service from uh, some of our new mission partners who are about to head to the Himalayan Basin, uh, one of the most unreached people groups uh, on the face of the planet. And God is doing this same work uh, there. Uh, all over this world, the gospel is bearing fruit and multiplying. And every time I hear that verse, uh, I want to pray and I want to ask God to keep doing it. Do more of that. Produce more fruit, more multiplication uh, in our country, uh, in our city, in our suburb here in Murunga, in our own homes. Uh, and this has been on my mind this week. Uh, we've been, as a staff team, away at a conference uh, purpose to encourage uh, ministers and ministry teams uh, to be about reaching Australia with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And here's the question that's been bouncing around my head this week. What do you think it would take uh, to have more gospel impact here in Wurunga uh, or, or perhaps more broadly Australia? What, what would it take? What, what are the, 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 the factors that, that would see more gospel fruit uh, occurring? Or perhaps zoom in a little bit closer, and this is a slightly dangerous question, uh, what sort of staff team do you think it would take to, to really have an impact here in Warunga? Now, just before you shout out your answers uh, to that question, let me put the shoe on the other foot. What sort of church family do you think it would take? Uh, amongst us as brothers and sisters in Christ, where, what would we need to be about? What would we need to do to really have an impact uh, here amongst the thousands and thousands and thousands of people in Warunga, let alone uh, the suburbs around? Or let me zoom in even closer here on Mother's Day. Let me ask the mums and indeed the dads here, what would it take for you uh, to, to see more gospel fruit in your homes? Uh, and I don't just ask that of the, the mums and dads of this church family, I ask it of the whole church family, uh, the spiritual parents of the next generation who are meeting in their groups right now across the way. What would it take for us as a whole church family to see more gospel fruit in the next generation uh, of our church family? They're, they're the sort of questions that have been uh, in my mind and heart this week as a result of uh, this conference and thinking about this passage. 
Uh, here's my question for you. As a staff team and as a church family and, and perhaps you thinking about your own home as, as parents, do you think you have what it takes uh, to actually see the gospel bear fruit there? Well, one, uh, Colossians 1.24 and onwards that we're looking at this morning, I think gives the answer to that question. Uh, you may remember as we've started this uh, series in Colossians, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a group of Christians he's never met, um, but he's heard that they've received Christ Jesus uh, by faith. They've received him as Lord, and he wants to write to them this letter that we're reading together now to keep going as Christians. Uh, to bear more fruit as a result of their faith in Jesus. And, and not only does he want to write to them, he's determined to serve to that end. He, he wants to help them uh, grow as Christians, to keep walking as Christians, to bear fruit. But here's his concern as we get to this part uh, of Colossians, verse 24 onwards. His concern is the, sort of the mismatch of reports that might be happening. Remember, uh, Epaphras has come to Rome and he's told Paul what's going on in Colossae, and it's spectacular. The report card, if you like, from Colossae to Paul, uh, if you think in the sort of parent-teacher sort of report card mode, it's an A-plus report. They're doing brilliantly. Faith, hope, and love. That's what he's hearing. It's fantastic. But uh, his worry is, as the report goes the other direction, as they hear about the situation that, uh, if you like, the leader of this worldwide gospel movement is in, his situation is, well, it's more, at best, it's a, a C. You know, it's, it's, he's a struggler. Uh, he's a shackled man at this point in Rome. He's under house arrest. He's under the thumb of the might of the Roman Empire. He's sort of... Uh, being buffeted by the, the sort of the machinations of the Jewish authorities. Here is not someone who looks in complete command of the situation. And so his fear is as they hear that, that they might think that God's plan is sort of derailed. Uh, and he moves to quell their fears. That's what we have here in these verses. Because here's why he's so determined to do that. It's because he knows that it is through struggling servants like him that the gospel uh, is actually bearing fruit and multiplying all throughout the world, that this isn't a glitch in the system, that this is exactly how God is at work. And so let's look at it together. What, what Paul's going to do in this passage is he's essentially going to um, detail his own uh, role in the progress of the gospel to, to illustrate that this is exactly how God works in the world. Uh, he works uh, that way then in Paul's time, and he continues to work that way now in our world. And so here essentially is, is what we're going to see. Here's, a, if you like, a summary statement. And this is the thing to log in your mind if you're planning to uh, nod off in a moment. Um, here it is. The gospel servant struggles. Uh, that's what he says of himself. Struggles for this purpose, to fulfill God's plan. And he does it by proclaiming Christ. That's how God works in the world. And they do it by God's power. And they do it with God's joy. Now, let's look at each of those uh, things in turn from this passage. Firstly, that first part, the gospel servant struggles, and you can see it there in verse 24. He wants to show them this is the pattern. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. Uh, the first, things that, uh, first thing that the Colossians need to know about Paul, and indeed the first thing we need to know about our own service of the gospel as we serve each other as a church, as we get involved in ministries, is this. The servant of the gospel, anybody who wants to serve in gospel work in a church, uh, is going to struggle. That's what it takes to bear fruit. It takes struggle. It takes suffering is the other word the passage uses. It, it involves cost. 
Now, I don't know whether that encourages you or perhaps daunts or deflates you uh, uh, somewhat, but what it leads me to do is to ask why. Why does it have to be that way? Why set it up with that arrangement that, that serving the gospel in whatever context we're in involves suffering and cost? Uh, it may not be for us at times physical as it is for Paul under house arrest, but it involves suffering of all sorts of loss, uh, financial or time or opportunities, you name it. Why, why has God set up a system that that's the way it is? Uh, well, Paul's experience helps us to see the remarkable answer. Have a look again at verse 24. He goes on, he says, here's what I'm doing. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Now, that's one of the more uh, uh, tricky verses, I think, in all of the New Testament. Uh, at one point, it seems to run right across the grain of, of the rest of the New Testament, uh, which declares the sufficiency of all, of all that Jesus has done. And here he's saying, I'm making up for what was lacking in what Christ did. Well, what, what's going on there? Take this in. Here's what Paul doesn't mean. I think from the context, this is obvious. If you go back to where we were last week, you remember verse 20? Uh, we've seen this magnificent picture of who Jesus is, that he's completely supreme. He's completely in charge of everything. And what did he do with that supremacy? Remember verse 20? His blood shed was enough to win us peace with God. Utterly sufficient. And then verse 22, you remember this? His body given was enough to bring us into reconciliation with God. There was nothing lacking. It was all there. It's why he can say on the cross that with his last breath, it's finished, it's done, it's completed. Nothing missing. And so then how, how does this wider context of Colossians help us to understand what, what Paul's saying here when he says, I'm making up what was lacking in Christ's afflictions? Well, do you remember what we saw last week? Remember how we saw that although Jesus is king of all things, uh, all things made by him, all things through him, all things for him, all things hold together in him, we also saw that even this side of the cross, all things are not yet reconciled to him as he intends them to be. I mean, that's obvious when you look around our world, isn't it? It's obvious, as, as we hear from uh, the Kiets a little bit later in our service, there's massive unreached people group. Not all things are yet at peace with God. There's whole patches of our world almost untouched. And this is the key for verse 24. Christ's afflictions aren't lacking in the sense that they're not enough to achieve God's purposes in all things. They're lacking in the sense that they have not yet reached their full effect. That's still happening. And Paul says the work of Christ on the cross, his afflictions are now having that effect all over our world, uh, not just in some things or, or some people, but all over the world. And it's happening through the work of the servants of the gospel. We are those who by faith in Christ Jesus have become part of Christ's body. You remember that from last week? If you look back at verse 18, here's how we're described as the church. We're, he's the head of the body, which is the church. We're his body. And so think about that for a moment. We are united to him by faith, the suffering servant. We're united to the suffering servant. And so here's the DNA of the body that you're part of, the church. It's, it's a DNA that follows his DNA, which is he suffers to bring life to others. And that's the same for us. And I think surely this changes our expectations of what it means to be a gospel servant, to serve others with the gospel. 
Ours is a culture, I think, and this is particularly true with the Western world, that prizes comfort and ease. That's the direction of travel that we want to have our life go in. And, and when we struggle, it's, it's almost like there's a glitch in the system and we want to move back to the place of comfort. And yet, here's the challenge. If you are united to Christ in faith, you're united to the suffering servant. United, you're united to a pattern of life. This is the pattern of life that he brings us into. Cost for us, life to others. He says the same thing in, in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. He says, death is at work in us so that life can be at work in others. That's the pattern we're part of. And so let me encourage you as a church. I think we must learn because of this to count the costs of serving with the gospel. But not as those who are dismayed at the sort of the rising cost of living as a Christian, but as those who with joy see the purpose of that cost. And again, it's verse 24 that, that helps us with this. Now, you might be a bit worried. We're only at verse 24 so far. We'll be here till I don't know when, but stay with me. Have a look at verse 24. You see, why is it worth paying this cost? God hasn't set in train a sort of a fruitless pattern of suffering. Uh, look at what the cost buys and for who. Paul says to the Colossians whom he's never met, I rejoice in suffering for you. Why? It is for you, that's why. It's for the sake of the body, he'll say later, the church. Uh, that's the joy set before Paul. That's why he's willing to pay the cost. That's why he's willing to suffer, because he can see the effect, the fruit it's producing in the Colossians. It's the joy set before him, and indeed it was the joy set before Jesus. In, in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, we're told this, Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him, the joy of, well, the church. And so it is with us. The gospel servant struggles for the sake of Christ's body, his church. And I want to say to you that that purpose is hugely encouraging for me and for the staff team as we serve our church family, that there's a purpose to this. And I, I hope it's an encouragement to you as a church family as you serve in different ways. As at points that feels like a real struggle. Uh, it's in order to see fruit in others. And again, circling back on this Mother's Day to parents, uh, I hope it's an encouragement to you in your home as you struggle for your children to see them bear gospel fruit. Uh, and as an aside, and we will come back to this, uh, I, I know every parent here works super hard for the sake of their children. And the question I think we need to keep asking as parents, and I'm asking it with you as a, as a parent, is where is my struggle for them most invested? What fruit do I want to see in their life? Is it this? Is it faith and hope and love? Or, or is there fruit that our culture holds out to our children and to our families that perhaps we're more focused on when it comes to our investment of struggle? Uh, well, let's test our hearts on that. Here's the second key aspect for the role of the gospel servant. Not only is, uh, do we struggle because it's part of the character of Christ's body, there's more to it than that. It, we suffer to fulfill God's plans for all things. Have a look at verses 25 to 27. Paul says to them, don't look at my sufferings here in prison and think, oh, God's lost his grip on the situation. This is actually as per plan. In fact, verse 25, I've been commissioned by God for this very purpose, to speak the gospel to the nations. You see there, it's not a gospel for some, this gospel, that, and that shouldn't surprise us. We, we saw that last week. Uh, Jesus is king of all things, all people, Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth, even as far as Warunga. And it's not a partial gospel either. Do you see it there, verse 25? 
This is a word in all its fullness. It's complete. So what is this word for us all, this filled up word, this lacking nothing word? Well, verse 26, Paul says this of it. It's a mystery. It's been hidden for ages and generations. Uh, He's speaking there of the chain of messengers that have gone through uh, the history of God's people in the Old Testament, uh, prophet after prophet, passing on the word of God. Uh, uh, And yet what we're told here, and this is why we read 1 Peter as well, each of them knew that that word was just a shadow of the full word, the full purpose that God had for this world. And and each of them were desperate to know the full details. In fact, uh, one of you picked it up at the end of the 1 Peter reading. Even the angels were sort of straining their necks to find out more. But here's the wonder of the time we live in. There's no more mystery. It's all been unveiled, this full word. And Paul, the suffering servant, was commissioned to speak this word to the whole earth. So what is this mystery revealed? What is God's plan for all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities? What's his plan for Warunga, for you, for your home? Well, says Paul, it's a glorious plan. It's a weighty plan. It's a precious plan. And at this point, as he, he sort of waggles on the tee to tell us what the plan is, I almost want to say, Paul, well, would you just say, what, what is the plan? And, and finally, he does. Verse 27, it's this. It's Christ. That's the plan. Christ in you is God's plan. Yes, the Christ we heard of last week, the, the breathtaking, supreme, mighty king of all things, the one who holds all things together, his plan is to have that Christ in you. By faith. To ha- his plan is to have Christ give you the hope of glory. That's God's plan. And the servant of the gospel has the job of proclaiming Christ so that those who receive him by faith uh, might, do you see there, verse 28, be presented perfect in Christ, lacking nothing themselves. Now, what would that look like to be perfect in Christ? Well, next week we'll see, I think, beautiful pictures of what maturity in Christ looks like, what God is working towards in our lives, and, uh, and why it's worth struggling for that for each other. But for now, here's one key picture I want you to ha- see of what it means. And to see that, let me take you back to verse 22 of last week. Here's the hope that Christ in someone's life brings to them. It's the hope, if you're looking there at verse 22, that when Christ comes in glory... When that person is presented before God on that final day, they will be, do you see there, verse 22, holy in his sight. They'll be without blemish. They'll be free from accusation, perfect, because they're in Christ. That's it. That's what the struggle is for. That's God's purpose in all of things. That's his plan, salvation on that day for us. That those we may serve with the gospel may have the hope of knowing for sure that they'll be right before God on that day. And again, I want to say it's on my heart to speak to parents today. One, because it is Mother's Day. And two, because I've been thinking about the families of our church a lot of late. Let me ask again, parents, is that your hope for your children? Uh, what, What do you hope for your children? There's probably a bunch of different hopes we have as parents. There can be social and relational hopes for our kids as they grow up, or academic hopes, career hopes. Sporting hopes. Now that seems a bit weird, but uh, at least to give them the opportunity to be part of sport uh, in their development. And and let me cards on the table. Let me let me say I think that is the big one for our city. 
Sport used to swallow up for families all of Saturday. Now it wants Sunday and maybe Friday night. And it shouldn't surprise us because it is the God of our city. What are the hopes that get our energies as parents, our time, our priorities? Whatever they are, don't miss this. The mystery, the secret, the point, the agenda, the purpose of all things, including us, including our children, has been unveiled. There's no mystery to it. And it's not on a sporting field. It's not in a classroom. It is that when God comes in glory as judge, the only thing that will matter is whether we are in Christ Jesus by faith. That's what our struggle needs to be focused on, that our children receive Christ Jesus as Lord, that they are on that day holy in his sight, not in themselves, but in Christ. Because when they appear before God, no other hope is going to help them on that day. Our only hope in glory is to be found in Christ, hidden in him. And parents, I do want to say I'm with you as a parent in this. I want to ask you again, is this our agenda? And I particularly want to say this to thinking about my own experience as a parent. I particularly want to say to dads on Mother's Day, there is no greater gift that you could give the mother of your children than to lead this struggle. Uh, one of the uh, constant drumbeats in our own family life is Liz's need to continue to remind me that this is our job, to not lose sight of that. And I want to say to parents, I realise it is a long journey. Uh, there may be deep disappointments along the way. Uh, there's a brilliant article I was reading this week in the Sydney Anglican website, which I'm sure you all read regularly. But um, it, it's, a, it's well worth reading at the moment because it's got this great article of someone reflecting as a, as a son, uh, reflecting on his mother. And he talks about a whole period of his life where he had very little interest in Christian things, walked away from it completely. And uh, he expresses the, the obvious disappointment his mum in particular felt in that time. But her persistence, her faithfulness, her graciousness towards him. And when he became a Christian many years later as an adult, he, he kept meeting people who would tell him that his parents had asked uh, them to pray for him. And what became clear to him over time on the other side of those years away from Christ was salvation was their priority all throughout that time. I've got to say that stirs me as a parent and rebukes me and challenges me as a dad. And I want to say this challenge is not just for parents here. It's a question, yes, for our staff team. It's a question for our whole church family. Is this what we're struggling for? Is salvation our priority as we uh, exert our efforts as a church? That, that those around us be holy in his sight. That those who've received Christ Jesus as Lord continue to walk with him as Lord all, all their days. Uh, which brings us uh, to the third and obvious uh, third part uh, of the gospel servant's role. Do you see it there? We, we've seen so far that we struggle because it's the DNA of our body, Christ's body, the church. We struggle to fulfill God's purpose, which is salvation on that last day. And now how? Well, verse 28, simple. We proclaim him. We proclaim him, we're told here, admonishing everyone. In other words, warning and calling one another to keep walking in step with Christ because he's leading us home. We proclaim him teaching uh, one another to reorder our understanding of all things around Christ rather than ourselves. And who does the proclaiming? Well, obviously we're told in this passage that the chain started as it reached us in the nations with the Apostle Paul. This was his commission. 
and it reached us, it reached, sorry, the Colossians by the chain going then to Epaphras. And well, the chain goes further than that, because if you jump forward in Colossians, this same goal of proclaiming Christ is given to the whole church. We're told even when we sing, as we gather together like this, we're proclaiming Christ to one another, teaching and admonishing one another. Uh, again, uh, and this is the final time I'll reflect on this, back to parents and spiritual parents within our church family, which is all the adults in our church family, you need to know that this project of proclaiming Christ to your children is not yours alone, not your struggle alone. It takes a whole church family, which is why, uh, as we've set for ourselves as a church this year, prioritising being here week in, week out. And I know I'm in one sense preaching to the choir because there's many families away today. Let us not approach church as individual families, but as a church family. You being here is what your family needs. And it is what the families around you need from you. And it is what the whole church family needs to proclaim the riches of Christ to one another's hearts. But let me finish with this, two encouragements to keep us struggling. Firstly, from the end of the bit we're looking at, verse 29, remember it's a powerful struggle. To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. I love that because many times in this struggle, whether it's for our whole church or in our homes, we feel well beyond our resources. And if you're feeling that way, I want to suggest to you you're starting to get the point because it's his power, not ours. So let us struggle with his incredible energy at work in us. Final thing I wanna to say to you by way of encouragement is right at the start of our passage, see also this, it's a joyful struggle. Uh, that report that went from Colossi, uh, went from Paul back to Colossi, he was worried that they get the wrong idea. Along with the difficulties, here's what else they would have heard reported. The, the emotion that bubbled up in Paul, joy. Joy. He rejoiced, one, in the gospel itself, that he, along with many of these Colossians, were, had the joy of knowing that when on that day of glory, when Jesus comes again, he had nothing to fear but so much to look forward to. The, the joy of being swept up in this chain of events as the gospel runs around the world, and then the joy of hearing fruit come from that gospel. It is, as Paul says in another one of his letters, 1 Thessalonians 2, speaking of those he has the opportunity to share the gospel with, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. My prayer is that our church and our homes be filled with struggling servants who have that joy. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do rejoice in this wonderful chain that you have called us into, the chain of proclaiming Christ to one another. We thank you for those who have proclaimed Christ to us and we pray that you help us to struggle on in proclaiming it to one another. And we pray through this that your gospel may bear fruit and multiply. In Jesus' name, amen.